You're listening to Canary Cry Radio. Yeah, I figured a way out, a way to get rid of all the lesbians and queers, but I couldn't get it past the Congress. Build a great, big, large fence, 50 or 100 mile long, put all the lesbians in there, fly over and drop some food. Do the same thing with the queers and the homosexuals. And have that fence electrified till they can't get out. Feed them. And you know what? In a few years, they'll die out. Do you know why they can't reproduce? Here's Basil Ingalls. Hey, everyone, and welcome to Canary Cry Radio. My name is Basil. And this is Gons. Welcome to episode number 73. The Gay Episode. And gay is in cheerful, gleeful, happy, glad, cheery. That gay, right? Nope, not that one. Ooh. The Big G Gay. The Big G Gay. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so there you go. Get ready, because it's going to be interesting. This is definitely a... (laughs) I was going to say hot topic, but... That kind of gives it a weird connotation. It's a very controversial topic, very mainstream. I was afraid to even touch it, and yet here we are, Gonzo. Well, hopefully we can add a different angle to the conversation. That right, and is... it's really... Sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> Go ahead, didn't mean to interrupt you. I was going to say, uh, you know, hopefully it adds a different angle to the conversation that is unfamiliar to what you expect but keep an open mind about where we go in this conversation right well you know that kind of makes it sound a little bit intense too you know keep your regular mind just open it a little bit (laughs) we're going to be talking to a couple of fellas who run a ministry and well we'll get into that later it should be said here's a disclaimer listener discretion is advised nothing too serious but there are a lot of references made to a certain activity that is for adults only so if you have children or i don't know whatever maybe listen to this episode before you know are you you talking about golf what adults do not talking about golf okay i mean kind of like golf not golf okay so there you go all right so you've been forewarned here yes. we go and if you have children with you you know there's lots of other fun episodes to listen to okay let's go here we go guests today and um, instead of me trying to summarize them and try to explain who they are I'm gonna let them do that we have Brandon and John how you guys doing great doing great good morning great well let's start with Brandon do you want to introduce yourself and you know talk about what you do yeah okay so my name is Brandon Visser 21 and I've been in this specific ministry for a little over a year and um what what we do is essentially what i do is i work with the youth in equipping them to deal with in uh 
in a biblical way and love their their gay neighbor is pretty much the 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 big part of what I do. That sounds good to me. Mm-hmm. Okay, and uh, what about you, John? What's your deal, bro? Well, let me tell you, <laughs> uh, I am a Christian and uh, a born again believer. And we have Free Indeed Ministries, and Free Indeed was born out of the Holy Spirit's idea that uh, a new voice needed to be heard in the world of same-sex attraction, especially with, as people call it out in the world, the gay movement, but which actually goes far, far, far beyond that. So uh, with that message, uh, Brandon and I do reach out to people who have uh, issues with same-sex attraction, uh, sexual identity, homosexuality, and want to have a relationship with God. So I lived, uh, you know, I was, when I was a kid, I was raised Catholic. Then I became born again, Christian, married, had kids, then went out into the lifestyle for many, many years. And then as God brought me back out of the lifestyle, uh, brought me to a new place here where I live now and gave me uh, this message and uh, gave me Brandon, so we co-founded Free Indeed. Okay, very cool. So you guys run or or work with a ministry? Is this you? You started this ministry? Yeah, we own it. it we're a we are a five hundred one c three nonprofit organization. Okay, so you're a ministry which deals with helping people to love their gay neighbor and sort of. Um, I can't imagine that this is a very easy ministry in the ways of, you know, being accepted by the larger Christian community. Well, right. We Our ministry actually has two prongs, and one is reaching out to the actual gay community and reaching out to anybody in the world who wants to, you know, love their gay neighbor and God. And the other half is actually ministering to the church. Right. And kind of trying to break through the really super religious and exclusivistic mindset. That part specifically is particularly difficult. And we, we've, we've definitely come up against some pretty hard-headed people. But, you know, for the most part, unless they're, like, completely stuck in their mindset of, this is an abomination, mm-hmm. and, you know, God hates abominations, you know, if they're not completely trenched in that, then usually we can, we can come at it from a grace perspective and say, you know, does God really hate the people? Does God really hate the people? You know, and, you know, and talk about Abraham and how he was a, he was a pagan. And yet, you know, it said that he was a man who still feared God. Mm -hmm. So like your, perception of God hating these people because of something that they're in is completely against the character of God, you know, and just kind of try and walk them down a logical path. And of course, something like this that has been so entrenched sure. in, you know, in the church's mindset for the last forever, <sighs> forever. <laughs> and, um, you know, something that has been so pushed on, you know, on every side. And we just grown up in this giant culture war. Um, it's hard to change that in one conversation. Right. Sure. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, it's an interesting thing because homosexuality, especially, I think on this show, I was actually a little bit afraid to do an episode on this topic because it's so mainstream now. I mean, like, when you think of Christians, you think of homophobia is like the first thing that people will think about. And so it's almost like there's so much emphasis put on it that I think some people feel obligated to hold that mainstream idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a big problem. You know, I don't really like mainstream telling me how to feel, A. Right. And B, creating that image of Christians as, you know, hateful, homophobic, bigoted people. Mm-hmm. Now, sadly, there are people out there like that. And, right. you know, and there are other people who, do still recognize that uh, homosexual people are still people and children of God and loved and treasured just like the rest of us. Mm-hmm. However, I, I'm not sure that they're as loud. Maybe they're just not as angry as some of the other people, and so they're not as loud. And let's just pretend that there is one of those people who is very against homosexuality has a list of biblically based reasons and for some reason just cannot get past it. What would you say to that person? Go. Well, that we meet that all the time and uh, they do have their list of scriptures to use against uh, somebody And the one thing that we try to make sure is that they understand that the Bible was never given to them as a velvet hammer. It was given as a love letter by God to all of us, uh, not a hammer in their hand against God's own. So we try to definitely break the ice there or break through those thicker walls. It's clear that the Bible wants everybody to be in right relationship with God. That's what the Bible is all about. He's restoring us back to the garden. So what does that really mean? Well, it means that in every way, including our sexuality, that we're supposed to live moral lives. So we don't focus on the name of the sex act because we don't do it with people who are not same-sex attracted. I.e. homosexuality, like how everyone tends to refer to as the homosexuals or homosexuality is this because it typecasts people as an action, as a verb, as a sin. Yeah, instead of the people. So they're approaching their sin instead of the sinner. Uh, Like we say, we want to, we equip people to approach a life, not a lifestyle. So we're going to try to help you understand that you're talking to a person When you're in front of that person and you're claiming to be a representative of Christ and you're claiming to come with the words of the Holy Spirit, then how can you come with condemnation? How can you come with the the thought in the back of your mind that's preset that if this person doesn't turn from their homosexuality during this conversation, I'm going to reject them? You've already come with that conversation ended. And I I know that God can use parts of that. But I don't think we should encourage that type of person to go out and witness um, and can try to condemn people to the cross. It doesn't right. work. Right. I think your guys' ministry is particularly unique, especially with you, John, coming out of it. You know, a lot of people will criticize 
even if they're trying to show grace to the to the gay community, they'll say, "Well, you don't know what it's like." You know, yeah. and and that's something that you guys um <laughs> distinctly can say, "No, we actually do." What is your as far as your experience? I mean, is there a distinction that could be made between homosexual orientation and the actual behavior itself? Is it is it a separate thing or is it something that really um, identified you as a person? Like, did you root your identity in that? Well, it is your identity because, um, and as we teach, when you talk about uh, sex, intimacy, and identity, it's all gets kind of wrapped up into one thing. If you really break down what the, the, the gay lifestyle is about, it's really the difference between the gay lifestyle and a not gay lifestyle is sex. It has everything to do with uh, just sex, you know, it's that simple. So when you have intimacy uh, confused and then your identity becomes confused because you can't find who you are and you don't feel complete, then you're using sex to meet those needs. You can see that that's a terrible, tangled, nasty little mess. And uh, that's something that uh, Brandon uses, you know, a chart, especially with the kids, to, to show them that there are separate pieces of this mindset. So, you know, where does it come from is a big question. Nobody really knows. Uh, I don't think they'll ever pinpoint it. It's from the fallen part of this world. As I see it and we teach it, it's, it happens to be an extra set of circumstances that I deal with in my head. But it gives me the opportunity to reach out for that grace that Jesus said abounds far beyond my sin or my circumstances in my head. Mm-hmm. You know, what I'm liking about what I hear about your guys' ministry is it's not so much about training. Well, and correct me if I'm wrong. It's not so much about training the church how to convert somebody's sexuality. No, you're absolutely right. In fact, we actually train people not to do that. <laughs> That's <laughs> that right. we, we actually train people to quit trying to train people to have a quote-unquote normal uh, sexuality. Mm-hmm. Because our identity is not rooted in our sexuality. Our identity is rooted in Christ. And so when, we, when we're dealing with people, honestly, I've found that the easiest way to get across to people you know, the fact that God really loves these people and really loves them and, you, you know, can't, you, you can't judge their salvation. You can't judge their, right. where they're at with Christ. I put it into their own context and I, 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 so if somebody you've never met meets you and all of a sudden, you know, you, you're, I don't know, doing something that you struggle with, say you're, you're gossiping or something and somebody decides to judge whether or not that you're saved and say that you're going to hell, you're going to tell them, go fly a kite because you don't know me. You don't, you're not in my relationship with God. It's my relationship with God. And um, he loves me as I am right now if they truly understand what grace is. Yes. And so we, we bring that to them like, does God love you while you're sinning? Yes, Absolutely. Now, one of the other things that we like to point out, especially if it comes right down to it, is the attraction itself. The, the, the attraction itself is not sinful. It is not a sin to be 
attracted to the same sex any more than it's a sin to be attracted to the opposite sex. It just comes down to when you lust, when, when you actively seek after it. You know, it's, it, it's all thoughts in our mind. And so when we, when we put it into that perspective, people are like, oh, I never thought of it that way before. I guess they really are just like me. Hmm. And when you talked about uh, you being told what to think, people see it, and perhaps you do too, as this is the gay movement out there on TV and pressuring our government and all of that. But if you really uh, scale that back and you start to look at who is the gay movement, what's really going on, well, now you can look at the society. Society, um, just a few years ago, every state practically did a vote on same-sex marriage, and they were just off the charts against it. Nowadays, just a few years later, you do that same survey, and people are for it. So it's not just the, the gay activists that's out there pushing this agenda. It's the people who want to love them. It's the people who say, why can't they be accepted? Why are they able to be fired? Why are they able to be discriminated against in so many ways? Why can't they go to the hospital and be with a loved one while they're dying? All of these things. So now you see it's really your neighbor, your straight neighbor, if you will, who's promoting the, the acceptance of the people, which then turns into the pressing of the agenda. Right. Now, there's a lot of talk now that you talk about the agenda. We hear a lot about the gay agenda, and there's a lot of really charged energy behind that. You know, I mean, I've had people, we've had emails talking about the gay agenda and how, you know, there's an, an active push to like turn kids gay or the gay movement is has its base basis in the occult and things like that uh, what seems to be like a lot of fear-mongering or something against yes. homosexuals <laughs> now does that play into your ministry is that something you address is that i mean is that true are all gay people satanists and <laughs> like and demon-possessed, as we're told. Hail right. Satan! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. No, that's... And we're not... Uh, I've never heard that before. <laughs> yeah, that's good. We keep getting closer and closer to the gates of hell. And you know what? That's, that's exactly where Brandon and I stand, is at the gates of hell. And we're not kidding. We want to close those gates and nobody drift over that border. We want to fill the kingdom. Mm -hmm. The kingdom is going to be full of a fallen creation, right? Because right. God created us, we fell, and he redeemed us. <laughs> so therefore, everyone can be redeemed. The battle is just so severe that people who don't know uh, fear-mongering, as you said, puts it where you said it. Um, it's, it's not a, an occult thing, um, it's it's a love thing. It's it's what you feel inside. I mean, just as you would be attracted to your uh, wife and children, so might I be to what I consider my husband. So it's just it's just a, a lack of knowledge <laughs> that sure. really gets us there. And we are not a political party. We don't have. Uh, yeah, we stay out of politics. Yeah, it's, completely. It just gets messy that way. And yeah. right. And plus, 
you know, part of our 501c3 contract says that we're not, <laughs> we're not allowed to be in politics regardless, which we right. would, even if we, even if we wanted to. Sure. Now what, um, oh crap. What was I going to say? Oh, bring it back. Bring it back, Basil. <laughs> Boomerang. Oh, come on. I see it. It's off in the distance. It's coming back. Gons, you got anything while I try to... Well, I mean, I, I was going to... Um, I didn't want to bring up necessarily the political side of it because you guys aren't really in that. But I am curious. Uh, it seems like you guys are... Well, I guess you can't even say if, it, if you are pro-gay marriage or not. I mean, you guys, are you guys trying to stay agnostic or neutral on that topic in general? No, or... we're, we're definitely... We're not into the topic. Okay. <laughs> we look at it this way. When we talk to our pastors, especially the ones who don't quite get it, we look right into their eyes and say, are you prepared for the first gay couple to come in for marriage counseling? What are you going to tell them? Go. <laughs> they right. usually yeah. don't have anything to say. Right. So we're, we, we know we don't have, we're not yeah. in that arena, but we know what's going on out there. We know that everything of ours focuses on grace and a Christ-centered relationship with God. I mean, right. it's just, that's the way it is. Mm -hmm. He right. calls us to right morality. That's what we're saying. Okay, so I remembered. Okay. Nice. Yay. Okay. So, let me figure out where to start here. Man, I'm just all over the place today. Okay, so a big thing that people talk about when they talk about the homosexual community, <laughs> and this goes back to, I had a conversation with somebody I think we were talking about uh, the homosexual issue and that was, you know, I was kind of taking the position that, you know, sure, it, it may be a sin, but gossip is a sin and all this stuff is a sin sure. and, you know, there are lots of sins. And this guy came back and he said, yes, well, there's like functional sins and then there's regular <laughs> sins and homosexuality is one of these sins that for some reason is, is bigger because it affects the world or it affects something, something or other. And there's a lot of talk about, you know, the homosexual lifestyle mm -hmm. uh, out there being steeped in drugs and the clubbing. Mm -hmm. And um, there's a, you know, a rampant perverse sort of promiscuous element to the whole thing and is really, you know, really not painted. The mainstream media, or at least the conservative mainstream media, would like you to, when you think of homosexuals, not think of two men loving each other and raising a family, but more of like a clubbing scene with booty shorts and neon lights and <laughs> methamphetamines. Ooh. Yes, which, granted, <laughs> are not the best things, Sorry. but... I mean, can you speak to that? What is in your experiences in that culture? Is yes. there is there anything to that? Okay. Yes. Well, first off, there there is one thing that I want to make very very clear about the people and the distinction between the attraction and the and the, and the lifestyle itself, because I understand what what you're asking, Basil, but I want to kind of backtrack just a, a little bit. Okay. To, to this guy. And it sounds like what he is doing, in my experience with this ministry and with these people and from my own 
previous mindset of being in there is lumping everybody who is is gay, same-sex attracted, whatever, into this giant melting pot of just a cesspool of sin. Right. Okay. And the distinction I want to make is, this might be a stretch, but have either of you ever done any work with the deaf community? That is a stretch. No, I have not. Okay. No. In deaf culture, there are two kinds of deaf people. One identifies as big D deaf, like capital D deaf. They refuse cochlear implants. They, you know, they exclusively speak in sign language. They don't even want to try to be vocal. Um, they live in deaf commune. They, you know, this is my circumstance. This is part of who I am. I am deaf. And this is me. So meet me as deaf. And little d deaf, people who identify as little d deaf, is just people who say, I can't hear. And I w it's the exact same thing with gay culture. It's the exact same thing with same-sex attraction. People who identify as big G gay is, you know, the, the pants, the clubbing, the drugs, the, the promiscuity, the whole lifestyle itself, the militancy, all of it, the entire culture, the mindset, that is big G gay. Little g gay is... I'm a guy, and I just like dudes. You know? So, so there's, there's a huge distinction between the lifestyle and the attraction. Not everybody who is attracted is in the lifestyle, and not everybody... Would it, say, would it be fair to say that not everybody in the lifestyle is necessarily attracted? Well, some people operate in it because there's, quote, straight guys who operate in it because uh, it's lucrative business, <laughs> to be perfectly honest with you. Not just prostitution, but simply... Uh, the need for attention, a place to, you know, meet a, a well-to-do guy and play the game and have what you perceive as a good life. And all you have to do is a little bit of something and you're good to go. And that's very real. But to get even more to your point, the salaciousness of the lifestyle is real. Sin is not pretty. And I don't care if you take any of them, like you said, even a gossip can be absolutely the most destructive force in a church or in a, at, at work or anything like that, too. That can be the most evil, uh, demonic person in the building. So does this lifestyle afford that and have that? The answer is yes. When I was living very much in the lifestyle, it was a lot about uh, going to the bars because there's no other place to go, uh, particularly to, to identify and meet people who are like you. You know, you have to go somewhere because the world is set up straight, so we have to find a place that's got us collectively together. Is there a lot of drugs? Yes. I remember used to, I used to think, man, I, I wish I could meet a guy who wasn't an alcoholic and didn't want to do drugs, who <clears throat> didn't want to go to a bathhouse. It's just good to have some fun, and, you know, you can have a picnic with the kids because I was raising my kids, and you didn't need... Uh, any other uh, trappings of life to get in the way. The, the uh, promiscuity is very real because um, the gay sex doesn't have a border like, you know, straight sex because women have a border. Men have their border. There's a different kind of bond. This is something that uh, on, on the same-sex attracted side it doesn't have that kind of border because it's not coming together to create something more. It comes together to experience or devour 
and then move on. And there is a very clear pattern of devouring that goes on. If I meet you and I like you, you have something about you that I want that's missing in me. I will, um, I mean, this, you have to take it very seriously because others will say, oh, that guy's an idiot, what he's saying. But it's true. You want to take that into you and become part of whatever you're missing. And obviously, right. having sex with you, I'm not going to become that part of me that I think is lacking or not there or that I would desire, you know, the looks, the body, whatever it is. So it's like the Bible says, Satan goes around devouring, this is what it is. And not to say that these people are Satan, but, the, you know, no, the, the sin is, is the devouring part. Right. And the whole thing is there is a brokenness in the identity. Right. right. There's a brokenness in the masculinity somewhere. You know, somebody who even says, you know, I've been gay my whole life. Um, well, how far back do you really remember being sexually attracted to men? You know, there, there's, there's some sort of an emotional brokenness that just, that leads to an, a brokenness in identity. Sure. And, you know, when you're not finding your identity in Christ, you're not being satisfied in your identity. And so you're going to seek what's broken to fulfill that gap. Right. Right. And so that's, that's being quote unquote satisfied. It's not really being satisfied, obviously, by, by sex. That's why the whole gym culture is there with the, you know, the really Mm. overly macho dudes who, you know, still hate the way they look because they, they don't feel masculine. Yeah. Hyper masculinity. Sure. You know, and that brings me to my next question, which is, we know now that you do a lot of work with the church and we, you do a lot of work with pastors, but you also mentioned that you do a lot of work with uh, homosexuals themselves. Now, what sort of work do you do with them? Interestingly enough, on that side, it also we get a lot of straight guys that have porn issues, too, because there's still a brokenness there. There's, and when we say brokenness, it could be a separation from yourself or the separation from God that's not fulfilled. So we don't want to make it sound like everybody's broken, even though we're all broken and God's putting us together. So we, we come from that point of view, and grace covers all of this and, and gets us there. But what we do with the gay guys and, and gay women is we just love them where they're at. And we talk about um, the need for a relationship with Christ, what it means to walk in grace, to have your place understood as being the righteousness of God in Christ. Who are you to God? Who is God to you? That's what we focus on, guys. If you stay there and focus on God's love, Christ's death and resurrection for that person, the life, then the lifestyle fades. Mm -hmm. Then when it comes forward, the lifestyle is brought forward by the person who's living the lifestyle, like our guys who come who are openly gay. You know, well, what do I do with this? Well, what does God want you to do with it? Let's go to God. Instead of me giving you an answer, let's go mm, to God. That's good. We, know, we know where it's headed because it's clear, even for our transgender women. You know, you used to be a man. You've got kids. You know what it's like. But you did this because you just couldn't cope with life. But you didn't kill yourself. Mm. Well, what's God going to do? Well, what the media won't tell you, if you go out and look at books and do a, just a very little bit of research, you'll find a lot of guys who did the surgeries have come back, and they've gotten back with the Lord. And their body may be different, but it's simply a scar of life. It's not a change of the person. Christ is the change. The body gets scarred. So we lead them on this terrain 
so that they can heal and end up with only scars, but in trusting Christ. Basically, we don't feed the fire that's been being fed by rejection of the church, isolation and battle lines and all that. And we feed them where they really need to be fed, which is they need to be told how much God loves them and how free their heart is right. by grace. You know, just what we explore all the facets that Christ's life, death, and resurrection brings to them. We don't just talk about, you know, um, in fact, we talk very, very little about homosexuality itself. We don't right. talk about we don't talk about gay sex. We don't talk about all that. We just talk about how much God loves you right now, and you can be free of the guilt and the shame and the hurt. And right. you know, God is ready to meet you where you are at right now. Now, how does that conversation start? Because you know, my wife and I we befriended somebody who identifies. Um, it's a he, but he, you know, he identifies himself as a female and, mm-hmm. you know, we had, well, I'm, I'm going to say her, we had her over for mm-hmm. dinner, uh, you know, during the 4th of July and, you know, we were just hanging out, you know, because like you guys do, you know, our philosophy with, you know, that community is to just love on them. Right. Um, but there were points during the conversation that were very challenging from, for me because, and perhaps this is just my pride or, you know, even just my sin, but you know, we were, we were talking about stuff and, you know, she was saying, oh my gosh, I can't wait till I get my bonus because I may get a new motorcycle or get implants. And I, I just really had a, I couldn't really well, speak to that. the motorcycle clearly should win. <laughs> <laughs> right. Come on. I know. Easy choice. Uh, yeah. I, that was easy for me and uh-huh. I've done this. Okay. <laughs> um, but I just had a hard time trying to speak up at that moment. And it just, it was really, you know, it was just really hard. And, you know, this particular person was rejected by their family who are Christians. So there's that whole, you know, mess there. Right. How do you bring something like that up? Do you just, you know, do you even bring it up or do you just continue to love until they come to you? We just continue to love until they come to us. That's as simple as that. When I see, we, I like to think of it, my, my time with this person as a, a timeline, two points on a greater timeline, which is this person's life. And if I think of this, this person's life as, as an entire timeline, and God is operating in this person's life, and God brings this person to a point where he or she is ready to deal with a particular sin or a particular behavior or whatever in their life. And that may be, you know, and any that could be anywhere on the timeline, but it may not necessarily fall in between the two points that I'm in this person's life. Mm. And that allows God to be God enough in this person's life. And you are trusting this person into God's hands so that you don't have to feel the pressure to address sins in people's lives, you know, in, in order to bring them closer to God, because that's, that's, you know, that's trying to take God's reins away from him. Mm, yeah. And so, Gans, you did, you did the right thing. You, you, you really did. It, realistically, people who are in this kind of position, especially with people in the church, you know, or uh, transgender people who are just coming back to God, or um, militant people who are still hurt, there's still, 
pressing the people who come to them in love, they're still, go ahead, reject me. Because right. I know you're going to do it. Right. I know it. Right. Everybody is waiting for the other shoe to drop. They're waiting for, for the hammer to fall. They're waiting to hear you say, well, you know that's a sin, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. So when that hammer doesn't come, and when that shoe doesn't fall, they, they uh, feel permission to press into you more. And thus, when they're pressing into you more and you know, they're, they're trusting you more, mm -hmm. that gives you more space to actually show them how much God loves them just by being there, right. by being civil, by being hospitable, by showing, you know, lay, touching them on the shoulder, being, mm -hmm. wanting to be around them and letting them know that I am not disgusted by you. I'm not offended by you because God, because God doesn't offend me and because um, your offenses are covered right. by Christ. And you don't have to get into all of what Brandon's talking about. That's the, that, what he's telling you is the depth of what you heard. We do a, a whole teaching on what not to say, and then we also teach what you said is not what they heard, and when they say it back to you, it'll be completely different. Right. So you can understand it. In fact, you can even face that conversation with, with humor. You know, I don't know if I'm getting motorcycle or implants. Well, what size bike versus what size implants? <laughs> That's pretty good. So then you go, but that yeah. tells them, you know what, you're listening to me. You actually heard right. what I say. You didn't go, oh my gosh, yeah. what can you do now? <laughs> this is uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it brings up a good point what you guys are talking about. And I'm going to tell a little story about uh, something I experienced, but I think it's very indicative of maybe a cultural pressure in the church or something that I think everybody will deal with when encountering someone uh, sort of like the encounter Gons had. There came a time in my life a few years back when two of my very good friends from childhood uh, separately came out as gay to me. And, you know, that was its own thing. But now years later... I was with one of these friends and some other friends and his brother and just a big group of people. And the subject came up of me being a Christian. And it got really awkward with everybody in the group. And uh, my friend, my gay friend, turns to everybody and he's like, no, no, it's okay. He's one of the cool Christians. And when that happened, there was a really strange moment that I had where I'm like, uh-oh, he thinks I'm a cool Christian. I must be doing something wrong. Like, okay. you, you know what I mean? Like, uh-oh, uh, gotcha, gotcha, I've, gotcha. I've given some sort of signal where the world thinks that I'm cool, so now there's an issue and blah, blah, blah. So I better rectify that and let them know that I'm not one of those cool <laughs> Right. <laughs> Luckily, I did not do that. And, uh, you know, but, it, but be, it just occurred to me, and I recognized it when it happened. I go, uh-oh, I feel weird. Wait, why do I feel weird? I feel weird because I'm not gay bashing this guy and he likes that or you know what I mean? So it was a very mm -hmm. strange moment that I've sort of cataloged and I bring up once in a while, and what do, you, what do you guys have to speak into that? Well, you know what that is? That's actually, this is so perfect, because I was, I was hoping to get to this. 
the church culture has been brought up to to tell people and to to teach and to preach that if you are friends with somebody that that means you condone what they do as as far as the gay culture and gay people are concerned that doesn't apply to anybody else right. that doesn't apply to hindus that or, doesn't apply adulterers. to adulterers gossips people who are divorced no. you know just the gay it, ones it, it only applies to gay people and so what you felt in that moment was what you had been taught or what you had been um you know, brought up to believe that, you, you know, oh, no, I'm friends with these people. You know, they think that I condone what they do yeah. or, you know. That's indoctrination right there. And right. What, what you reacted with was absolutely the truth because we like to bring up all the time. Jesus was friends and hung out with sinners, prostitutes, tax collectors. You know, I'm sure that it's not it's not in the Bible. But who, if Jesus is hanging out with these dregs of society, then why isn't he hanging out and being friends with gay people? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, especially right. when you consider that your average militant, liberal, flamingly flamboyant gay person hello is perfectly synonymous <laughs> with with. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> it's okay. I'm sorry. I'm fired for Jesus. <laughs> no, um. They're perfectly synonymous with the Samaritans, um, as it relates to to the to the Jews. So, to to somebody in the church, that person is this this situation is the same as with the the Pharisees and the the Samaritans. And you know, Jesus hung out and touched and cleansed Samaritan lepers. And let, you know. me, let me put a, a real fine point on that, very simply. That moment that you felt that, mm-hmm. you, you were experiencing Christ closer than probably you ever had in your walk. Right. Because at that moment, you were pointed out as the city on a hill. You were the light of the world. And Christians don't get that. Mm. This is so simple. The cross is so simply perfect but we are trapped with so much pomp and circumstance and and indoctrination if you don't filter the bible through anything but the cross you end up in a place where you were where the world is looking and going that's a light that we can trust let's walk toward it that's what you're called to be nothing else Mm, that's good that's really good just kind of to play I guess the devil's advocate, mm-hmm. and I know you guys are are well versed in this area, and so I'm not. I don't feel uncomfortable asking some of these questions, but you know, a lot of what you speak of with the love of Christ being the center and showing grace, mm-hmm. those things are definitely, I think, the the proper position or proper stance to to take on this issue. Uh, however, what do you say to people? And you've touched on it a little bit before, but you know, it, it just seems, especially in the Old Testament. The Bible seems to consistently forbid homosexual acts. Mm-hmm. What what do you say to that? I mean, you know, is there is there a little bit of justification going on on your end, or what? You know, I'm just no. trying to get a grasp on, you know, from a biblical perspective, taking it as a whole from from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, how do you guys deal with 
some of those aspects when, you know, especially when people do bring up passages that are clearly, um, you know, forbidding the act itself. Well, the passages that you're talking about in the Old Testament are also in the same areas, especially if we're going to talk about Leviticus, also talks about, you know, wearing two separate kinds of, wearing clothes that are woven out of two, more than one kind of uh, material. That's, that's a sin. Um, cutting the hair on the sides of your head was considered a sin. Um, divorce was an abomination. You know, uh, eating all- the wrong bird was is actually called an abomination. So, getting to the point, though, it, I mean, if you want to to get into this this deeply, but the word homosexual doesn't appear in the Bible. It describes right. it in different ways. Um, if you were to ask uh, one of the uh, homosexual church advocates, they would describe the fact that in the Old Testament, it referred quite often to boy prostitution. We're not into boy prostitutes, they'll tell you, so therefore that does not fit what my life is today. So that erases that. Um, Then they'll take you to um, effeminate, but they'll change that word just a little bit, and then it won't match up with what they're doing today. So we know that back to the garden, you know, God gave us bodies that reproduce. If we were not meant to reproduce, I don't think he would have made us to. You know, we would come out of our mother's womb as a womb as an un, non-reproducing person. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think that that's very real. So the, the, the place where it gets twisted up, though, is, again, Paul, and throughout, especially in the New Testament, where it's very clear about morality, he calls us to say, these people will not inherit the kingdom. Not heaven. The the kingdom and heaven are very, very different things. That's also something yeah. that's also something that uh people really, really get mixed up and that's where doctrines where you can lose your salvation and you were never you saved. You gotta go to hell, all of this stuff. It's terrible. And I was told that I was never saved. Um, even though because I went into the lifestyle. Someone who was saved could never do that. Well, that's not true because God was still with me and grace still followed me, and it was grace that brought me through. So that is a lie. But um, it, it really comes down to, no matter what the argument is, no matter what the words are, no matter what the verses are, it comes down to who will you serve? And how will you serve the one that you choose? You will serve the world, and you'll be really good at it. And you'll go out, and as a straight person, perhaps, you'll be an adulterer, a liar, a cheat. You'll, you'll uh, scam people, old people out of their retirement. You'll do all of these things very well. Or you'll be submitted to God and you'll do what he's called you to be, whether it's to be single or married. And it doesn't matter the attraction that I have for a sexual person or a gender. It matters to God what I do with it. So you have an obligation to do with your attraction to the gender that you're attracted to and use it in a moral proper way in glorification of God. Mm -hmm. So must I. So where does that put me? It puts me in a place where I can't have sex with guys, but I can still have sex with a woman if I choose to get married and do a godly way, right? So I have all the freedoms that you do. You have all the freedoms that I do. We all have grace. Because we're all called to the same moral standard. That's, That's really what it comes down to. When when Paul is, you know, when he's talking about sexual morality, we're all called to the same moral standard, and we're all called 
to submit our bodies to God. So, and the church what, has a harder time with that than anybody else. Right. The church has a really hard time with that. Um, you know, because they they. It's funny because when we're 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 talking, we talk we talk with a lot of pastors from from our area, and a lot of them recognize that you know we have couples who are living together who are having sex, and we know it. Um, but we also have gay couples who who are starting to come. So what do we do with that? You know, uh, do we talk about the 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 gay people? who are possibly doing it or do we you just just point them out or we do we talk to both of them or how does this go you know where where does grace end and uh the the answer to that is it doesn't end that's right and that god deals with people where they're at and if somebody is choosing to be submitted to christ then god will weed out those those different places where we are weak, and He will make us strong in those areas. Right, and He'll right. bless that. That's what He's after. He's after us to take off the cloak of our own self destruction and let His light always shine on us. Because if you're born again, you're in the light. But we can choose to hide under, you know, a trash can lid, even though we're in the light. Mm-hmm. So, does that answer your question? Yeah. Guys? No. It, it sounds like. It sounds like you guys aren't, because what I often hear as a response to some of the things you guys said is that, oh, you guys are just minimizing homosexuality as a sin, but rather what I'm hearing is you're not really necessarily doing that. You are actually reframing it in a wider context of, you know, what sin is in general and looking at, you know, just the basis of morality or obligation as, you know, as human beings, as being children of Christ, of what we ought to do. And in that context, the the homosexual issue becomes just one out of, you know, many of the plethora of sins that we can all commit. So, uh, it I, levels I can, the playing field. Exactly. Yeah, I, I right. can appreciate that. Yeah. Now, just because I can already see the emails and the comments and everything <laughs> piling up, I would like you to clarify your thoughts about homosexuality as a sin as found in the Bible. Because I, I, you did go through it a little bit, but for me it sort of landed on sort of an ambiguous note. Now, so, it, so, you, so what you heard was, we're not going to call it a sin, maybe we'll call it a sin, the, just kind of a, a vacillatory. Well, I, I hear you referring to it as a sin, and so I totally get that. But what is the biblical basis that you accept it as a sin and and not qualify it with, but also, you know, wearing clothes with two types of cloth or eating lobster as a sin? Because that's one I like to bring up too. Right. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. No, um, the fact is that Jesus outlined what sexual relationships are to look like. I, I can't remember the address, but... He basically outlined, you know, a man will will leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Okay. Right there, he laid out the biblical outlines of a sexuality and marriage. Yeah, that's that's Matthew nine, nineteen, I believe. Okay, so that's that's black that's and white. Boom. And we, we stand on biblical that's truth. It. So there it is. 
commenters. <laughs> yeah. Just Take so we're clear. But there we want, it is. And I want to also make sure, too, that there is, there, there is more than one thought on both sides of these, believe it or not. Sure. There's the traditional denominational church side that they all must be isolated and killed. And praise God that he did not let that happen. And then there's the other side, the, the, the reality of what's going on, like we talked about earlier, the groundswell of support. Uh, and you can see it in the denominational breakups. The Presbyterians just broke up almost three to one in their council of a thousand plus almost 1,300 churches that voted, almost three to one to go toward the gay agenda. So the groundswell is there. This isn't coming from the top. It's coming from the people who want to be received in love. There is a network out there, and I, I don't mean to promote it. It's a gay Christian network. They are huge. There's the ecumenical Christian network. That's a gay organization. The whole point about it is, if you read through all of their stuff, that is a church that you will go to because you know that they love the Lord. Where it falls off, is that they go the next step, which is not only will we accept the LGBTQ community, we will accept is what they do and the way that they live as God-given. Mm. That's the rub. So you so, guys are on like a really we're narrow... A, <laughs> you're a niche of a niche of a niche. Yeah, there couldn't be much more of a thin line that we step on and walk on. But we also know this, there will be very few who will stay at our message point and right. uh, because they'll want to continue in, in their sexuality. I mean, and I get that, but I also get that you don't have to stay there. I get that God is greater than anything. Even if a straight person said, I'm going to not do this, and we're not talking about celibacy, that's a whole other topic, because we don't believe in that either. You are standing before God as someone that God has called you to be and called you to do. Therefore, you do that. So, I believe God calls every person who has same-sex attraction, who finds salvation, God is calling them to purity and righteousness before Him. What does that mean? Sexually, mentally, morally, you know, living for Him. Living as that beacon of light. As it's, you know, as that person is... Um empowered by grace to do yeah there it is uh, hang on hang on one second it looks like basil dropped off here i'm gonna you there hey you're back basil you left me i just got so mad i was so scared <laughs> that's the rejection we're talking about <laughs> <laughs> i feel isolated <laughs> let me let me ask you guys this because the other side of the 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 discussion here is that the the Christians, just, you know, your normal Christians are somewhat being marginalized as well. Because mm -hmm. if you don't accept the gay agenda, right. you're considered a bigot and, and all yeah. this. And, and there's, there's quite a bit of, in my view, there's a little bit of logical inconsistency with that argument in general. Um, right. The whole tolerance, unless you, you know, we'll tolerate everyone except those who are against this tolerance kind of thing. Right. So how do you deal right. with that? I mean, what, what is your view or opinion on that? Because I, I feel that there is, you know, there's a breakdown of the acceptance of just Christians in general because of this issue. And um, so, yeah, what are your, what are your thoughts there? Well, again, it goes to the sex. 
And this is, I'm glad you asked the question because we, we're working with these beautiful churches and pastors that actually are Grace Revolution pastors. And they're struggling with, with the fact that they want to love the person but not the sex. So then they get marginalized if they talk about uh, the sex. So we encourage them, well, then don't talk about sex. Uh, talk about Christ's love and what, what you need to do to live a life that's uh, pleasing to God. I think that there is a marginalization going on because I believe that it's a test that God is putting his true followers through. Who, Where will you end up when uh, the world tries to tell you that you have to do something else? It's like in the, in the tribulation, if you believe in it, which I do, and they're going to have to choose to take the mark or not. This is kind of that, like, a, if you will, a pre-trib mark. What will you do? Who will you stand for? So you can still stand for Christ without standing up for gay sex. Mm-hmm. And I understand the marginalization, but you have to understand, too, it's something that's been building. Again, we have the Presbyterians, three to one, going to go all out gay. So let's say they were the only people who were representing both sides. Well, what would you hear? You would hear that you have to accept the, the, the homosexual part of the person. And that would be the message. That would be the pressure. So therefore, the one that voted against it would, in that sense, be marginalized, even though they're really still very existent and they still go to church and they still love the Lord. Right. But the voice is getting bigger because the numbers of people wanting to accept the people are looking at the traditional Christian and saying, you people just simply hate them, so shut up and go away. If you have something nice to say, say it. If you don't, stay away. Mm-hmm. So the bigger voice is saying that to what's appearing to be a smaller voice. I think it's a good thing that the, that the voice of bigotry, you know, that came out of the 80s and, and then uh, still stayed strong through the 90s, is being diminished. I see the new pastors coming up are pastors that weren't steeped in the 70s and 80s craziness and, and hellfire and brimstone. They're, com- they're in here for grace of Christ. This is the movement. This is the revolution of the Bible. This is the truth. And their voice is actually pretty darn strong. You just don't hear it on TV because those churches are drawing the, the greater gay community and they want to know the truth. Right. For instance, like there's this there's this guy um, AJ Swoboda at a church called Theophilus in Portland, and it, I don't know if you know, but uh, Oregon is the least churched state in the United States, and Portland is the least churched city. So, you know, in in the entire U.S. and this guy's church is absolutely thriving. Yeah, it's absolutely thriving, but he does not. He doesn't go the way of old pastors, you know, which is, you know, keep them out and, you until know, they change. And, until they change and we're not going to bow down and, you know, we're, we're being marginalized because of what we believe. No, he just approaches it the same way we do. And we had never met this guy. And it was funny because God brought us together at a conference and, you know, we heard him speak about the messy church. And just the way that he approaches church and the way that he approaches ministry and, and discipleship and discipleship and his his voice, his his ideals and his um his approach are so loud. Right. They are so loud and they are so effective. And really it's coming from the bottom up. 
you know we're not right. going to we're not going to see the the demarginalization of of the church and of you know this um this typecast that is so prevalent because it's been building for the last 40 50 years right and you know if you you take a pillow a feather pillow and you scatter a bunch of feathers into the wind you're not going to be able to go and gather them all up there is a huge reputation that has been built by the church for bigotry for homophobia for um all this rejection for rejection and so all that we need to do as christians is to stand on god's grace and to change that uh stereotype from the inside out from the bottom up instead of worrying about politics and participating in these social debates that don't get anywhere where people are just spinning their wheels and you know barking at each other (laughs) right As, as we say, all we want to change is your mind about God. That is, that's, on our, that's on everything. All we want to change is your mind about God. And the Christian can read that and say, what do they mean? And we'll tell you. And the non-faith-believing uh, person will ask that and we'll tell them. Because it is what they think about God, not what God thinks about them, right. that creates the issues we have today. Right. What about, um, and I have... Somebody doing something out there. I don't know if you guys can hear it, but what is your opinion on church leadership? You know, what if a pastor comes out and says, you know, I'm, I'm homosexual. Do you think that they can maintain that? And, and also, you know, and also because Basil and I, the church we uh, used to attend and work at, before we were there, there was a, a situation where the worship leader came out and said he was gay and he was fired. And actually the fullness of the story is that he was conducting, you know, homosexual behavior in his office at the church. So that's, that's why he got fired. It wasn't necessarily because he was gay, but he brought it to court and made it that issue. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it's a, a big light thing. on it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so Basil, if you, if you, uh, Google the, the, pastor's name that's what comes up um, but you know w- what is your thoughts on that i mean obviously anybody committing you know having sex in the office at the church is probably going to get fired <laughs> i was going to um, say but, but that was easy yeah um but as far are as we, uh, are we done with this one <laughs> <laughs> but in terms of just leadership in general you know i just know there are people that i that i know will say that they don't you know they shouldn't be in leadership what do you say to that well, I say that that's not necessarily the right way to look at it on the grounds of John, <laughs> because if you, if you take a look at where he was 20 years ago versus where he is now, obviously 20 years ago, he was not fit to be a leader. He was not, he was not ready to take the reins of this ministry. He was not walking in God's grace. He was not walking, or he, he was not um, submitted. Not living rightly. Not living, God, yeah. yeah. It's fair and, to say. You can say that. Yeah. <laughs> but, okay, we're all friends here. <laughs> right. But now, his life is submitted to God. His sexuality is submitted to Christ's obedience. And so, you know, why not? Why, what? If somebody's life is submitted to Christ's obedience, if their life reflects Christ's, 
and they're called into leadership, then who who are we to say that they're not supposed to to explore that? Right. Right. But and getting to your question a little bit uh, from the other side, which is, I've come out as gay. I'm the senior pastor. Take it or leave it, because I'm going to have my sexuality open. Um, then no, it should not be in the pulpit. Because how, <clears throat> once again, how do you lead people if you're locked in your little garbage can and you can't even see out? It's the you, blind lean the blind. You, you can't see God's grace. He can't bless you because you put your, your own sin as the most important shield that you wear versus the shield of faith that keeps you strong in him. So an openly gay pastor who is openly pursuing the lifestyle, and remember, this is not a lifestyle that you can make morally right before God By because there's, with a marriage. there's no marriage contract between same-gendered people and, and all of that before God. So therefore, it is not an acceptable uh, lifestyle to lead and certainly not one that should be preached from the pulpit or taught. So would that person have to step down? If they choose to live that lifestyle, yes. But I think, too, it's very confusing for a church to hear that. I mean, what are you going to do? It's like, okay, the pastor came out as gay. What do we do? Well, what does that even mean? Right. You know? And is the guy really going to tell you the truth about what he's doing? He's told you that he's gay. Generally, I, I will tell you that that means that I'm telling you, because coming, this is what coming out is all about, is I'm telling you, I have sex with the same gender. It doesn't tell you anything else. Right. If you think about it, you didn't tell me anything except you're going to sleep with the next guy that you find attractive. That's all I said. And mm -hmm. if a pastor does that from the pulpit, oh boy, you know, the next thing is going to be his friends are showing up and then who's going to be looking at that going, what are you doing? Where are you at with this? Where's right. your sexuality? It, 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 what a mess. Right. So God has a place of blessing, which is in grace, but we must not wrap ourselves in our sin and say, well, I can't, I can't pinpoint why, so it must be from God, so I'll just live it out as best I can. Right. That is not a point of grace, and it, it is not a point where God can bless as richly as he wants to. And I don't think other people should be submitted or subjected to somebody who chooses to show a leadership of shattered in sin, not right. openly living for Christ in faith and grace and super blessing. Amen, brother. Oh, don't get me going. <laughs> no, okay, so that's very cool. That's actually, um, you know, that's a very controversial topic, obviously, as a lot of this is. Mm -hmm. um, now, we're going to get ready to wrap up, guys, and I got to say, this has been a very interesting uh, talk with you and, and has really illuminated sort of the other side of such a heated and controversial issue. Well, before we wrap up, Basil, um, I have a couple more questions for John and Brandon. And uh, my question was regarding the gender identity issue. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And because out here in, in California, you know, they're starting to have these gender neutral restrooms and stuff. Mm -hmm. And really? uh, yeah, you in the schools. Yeah. I, yeah. So I don't know how you guys feel about it, but I know that it makes even non-Christian parents very uncomfortable that, you know, little, you know, little Danny boy or whatever feels like he's a woman today and, you know, he's going to go in the girl's bathroom and yeah. do his business and stuff and, and what that can lead to 
how do you feel about something like that? And, and how do you deal with gender identity issues with, you know, even with children? Well, that's a good question. First of all, um, I don't believe in gender neutrality. Neither one of us do. Mm-hmm. Um, we believe that that is just a mess. <laughs> <laughs> but God can undo that. You have to protect the people. Let's face it, when it comes right down to it, when you have the transgender body, it's only the physical person that you're trying to change to match up with something. But in the mind, even though they'll tell you, well, I feel like I'm a girl today, or, or that's the way I want to live, there's still the male gene that creates the male perspective. Mm-hmm. And there is still the male responses. There's actually a subculture out there, and in, in big in California, of men who want to have female body parts so that they can be even more gay. They don't like their, uh, their junk, so they want below to be changed. And they actually pursue uh, the doctors and the psychologists, and they pretend that they're wanting to be a woman, but really they just want to get the surgery down below so that they can then live as a man. So when you get into all of that, you have to protect the children. And I believe you have to say, I'm sorry, transgender person, just like at this college recently. No, you can't live in the men's dorm. You're not born a natural man. Because there is still the mental part of it that nobody can get to and that uh, it just can't change. Right. So are people that are born transgender, do you think that it's... Uh, it's just a case that the body just doesn't match the mind? Or do you think there really is sort of an androgynous, um, you know, I, I, I guess, I don't know what the word is, <laughs> a person well, who's, nobody... who's truly androgynous, you know, in that there really are a kind of a blend of male-female? Nobody is really, I, I believe that everybody is born with an identity, with a, you know... Yeah, God, there's a God-given identity. A God-given identity. And just because their identity is broken and they're having trouble identifying one way or the other, it doesn't mean that that's actually reality. Mm. Because if God put you in a male body, then he put you in a male, male body because that's part of who you are. In reality, like I was talking to one of my transgender friends and, you know, it, it came down to it. Like, how do you see me? And I, I told her, I see you as a person. I see you as a beloved child of God. I don't, I don't choose to see you as, as whatever, you know, boy or girl, whatever you're choosing to identify as. I'm choosing to see you as who you are in Christ. Well, she's like, but, you know, give me something a little more than that. Right. And I was like, okay, regardless of how you get sliced and diced, if you were to go and get a surgery or whatever, if they were to dig you up in 10 years after your death and you're decomposed, they would measure your hip-to-shoulder-width ratio. They would measure your, the, the thickness of your hip bones. They, they would measure your skeleton and identify you as a female. Uh, interesting. <laughs> You know, so your physical makeup, no matter how hard you try and change it, is going to be a female. And, of course, that wasn't received very well. It kind of yeah. freaked her out right. because, you know, we, 
this this whole gender identity thing. But that's the reconciliation that that Jesus only can God bring, can that only God can bring. Yeah. And I think that that's even more of a testament of how, you know, we can't address everything in one conversation. <clears throat> um, and to go to your point, though, about the, um, the physical nature of people, that's where you get, now this gets into all the sciences of the world, because quite often babies are born still having obvious um, uh, genital equivalency of male and female. It's like one in thousands. So it's very common. It's not uncommon at all because, you know, it all depends on the chromosomes and all that kind of stuff, right? So you get all of that, but, but that doesn't make up this where we're at today with this transgender mentality. Remember, we were talking about physical body, personal identity, which then goes into mentality and emotions and all of that. Mm-hmm. And so that all just comes down to a brokenness of your identity. You know? Eventually, it, it, yeah, well, yeah, there are definitely got something going on there. I mean, I felt that when I was in the gay lifestyle. I wanted to be, at, at one point I, I did drag because I thought, well, that gets me closer to men, and I feel like I'm very effeminate. I, was, I could look very pretty very easily, um, so that was something I thought I should do. And then it was like, well, maybe I should go farther and make all of this a reality. But yet I couldn't stop um, being a guy. I mean, I still recognized that there was something about me that was different than women. Right. So, you know, that's where God's rescue is. That's what Brandon's saying. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the sad thing is, because society has changed so much to try to accommodate what it does not understand, it puts things in place that put us all at risk. That's what's happened. Yeah, yeah. And I actually think that the blessed hope that in Christ, you know, the the hope that is the resurrection of our bodies is, I mean, even more relevant than, I mean, maybe to the rest of us in some way, you know, there could be something there where, I don't know if you guys have looked at it from that angle, but, you know, with 1 Corinthians 15, the the corruptible puts on the incorruptible and all that stuff. I'm sure it speaks hope uh, into someone dealing with these issues far more than maybe the rest of us. I don't know. Maybe not. I'm getting older and my knees start hurting. My neck is hurting. I'm pretty stoked about a new body. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I'm like the old man over here. The key is the new mind guys. The, the rec, the, uh, when he says the renewing of your mind, that's huge. And Mm. I think that pastors skip over that because it sounds really good and everything's going to be okay. when you renew your mind. (laughs) <laughs> this renewing your mind thing is you rewire because remember they're wired to think something opposite of what they see. And when God comes in and starts to rewire, it's a slow process. It's the fine little teeny tiny wires. Like when you open up a, a little motor, you go, my gosh, how did they fit all those wires in there? Where do they go? And he's just removing and changing and putting them, you know, fixing it. And it just takes if you're to minister to somebody, it just takes patience and grace. Yeah, that's you know, right. not expecting a whole lot. Yeah. You know, not expecting a change in somebody, but there just encouraging them in their walk with Christ and encouraging them. God still loves you, and He loves you right now. And, and he likes something, you, as you say to Brandon. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, one of my favorite lines to say when I'm talking to youth or just people in general, especially when I'm preaching the gospel, God loves you. Yeah. God loves you. Um, yeah, He loves you unconditionally. 
like your parents love you. But what you probably haven't considered and what you've never been told is that God likes you. Because <laughs> anybody, anybody can love you. You know, your parents may love you, but they don't always like you. Let's, right. let's just be real. But God loves you all the time, and he likes you all the time because he is just that awesome. And one, one scripture that uh, particularly speaks to me in areas of, you know, broken identity, um, broken, broken hearts, uh, you know, physical bodies, you know, Jesus says that he came to give us life and give us life more abundantly. And as he is, so are we. You know, as he is now in his glorified state, so are we. And we can experience the fruits of walking close to him. There are physical benefits of living in his grace. And so, you know, I've, I've heard so many stories of people who have just held on to that that, that one scripture of, as you are, Jesus, so I am right now. I think, I think that's in Romans. I know John's pulling it up right now. But, you know, I heard this one, this one particular story where this woman was diagnosed with breast cancer, and they found a lump in her breast. And, you know, she, she read that verse, and it was just like, Jesus, you don't have lumps in your breast. Like, it, it sounds silly, but... But really, if we are as Jesus is right now, we are whole, we are complete, we are full. And, um, you know, the, that, the infirmity, the brokenness gets washed away in the light of his glorious grace. Right. You know, because our lives were exchanged for his. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Cool. Um, okay. Are you <laughs> I had, good? I had you... one more thing, but it was... Go. Okay. Go, go, go. Um, here. Yeah, yeah. Because um, 8 a.m. is going to happen again, and we don't want to lose it. <laughs> this is not going to happen again. <laughs> um, the idea of repentance as part of the gospel, where does that fit into this whole, this whole thing here? Well, let's define terms. Um, most people see repentance as, I turn from this and I never do it again. Right. Half of that is true, half of that is human expectation and self-righteousness. The half that is true and absolutely necessary for um, living free is to, you know, let the, the water of the word wash your mind and renew it so that we no longer desire these things as we walk in our new identity in Christ. And we do have to turn away from the things that are killing us. You know, like if somebody has been struggling with porn all their life and you know they just continue it's wrecking their lives and they see the the problem but they don't walk away from it even when they are perfectly aware of how destructive it is that's unrepentance if somebody sees the the destruction and they they decide they don't want to have any more to do with it but they still screw up and they still fall that they have repented of that and they're just still struggling with the, with the effects and with the familiarity of, you know, the comfort that that brings. And they're, they're struggling with the, um, with the flesh, yeah. with getting the flesh to submit to, to God's righteousness, which has been transferred to us. Yeah. So, repentance in and of itself 
is just like it like it's defined a changing of the mind when you change your mind behavior doesn't always necessarily follow because that's that's up to god to empower us to do and if we don't know that god can empower us to walk away from that stuff you know then you know someone says well you haven't repented well no i repented la- right. last week of this i god brought me to my knees and I'm I'm so over this porn thing, but I just can't stop. I need help. Right. You know? And that's exactly what we teach. Right believing is where it starts. If you just stop right there, just believe right. Stop trying to live right. Stop trying to live the way other people say you have to live. Stop trying to live their vision of your Christian outward appearance. Now, eventually, because you believe right, those things change. That's why people with porn addictions come to us and, and, and sit in and, and, and join us because we get together with, with that mentality. But we're not going to condemn them out of the room. We're not going to talk about the name of the site and what they saw and, and glorify the sin. We're not a recovery group. There is no such thing as uh, healing from sin. You're not going to... Because Jesus wouldn't have needed to die on the cross yeah. to forgive us. And you're not going to be healed gonna, of sin. And you're not going to stay in recovery. There's no such thing as that. That's like getting a cut and saying, well, it just never, ever, ever healed. That's not true. That is not true. So that, that concept does not work with Christ to be always in submission to the sin. And one of my favorite verses, if I can share that with you, it's in my bio on the internet. It's 1 Corinthians 9, 22 and 23 about God, how God works. Uh, Paul says, To the weak I became weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might, have, might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. So, you know, he's doing everything he can for anybody, whosoever will may come, whoever will listen. He's going to do whatever he can to show them the love of Christ, to be what they need to be, to see in him the example of what Jesus is, not what he is, what Jesus is, so that some might be saved. He knows that not all will come, but he's going to try and he's going to let God choose the some, not him. Awesome. Awesome. Very awesome. cool. Is there anything that you'd like to leave us with or that we haven't talked about before we start to wrap it up here? Well, I'd like to just point out another little figure of speech that we like to use that we want everybody to hold on to. Um, we tell, as we're, especially as we're talking to pastors, we say that we don't want you to condemn them away from God, meaning the church condemning people who have come to you with this issue and say, you can't have God because I choose that you can't have God because you have a problem. And we don't want you to accept them to their death, both physically and spiritually. So we don't want mommy to send little Johnny off into the gay world and say, well, I love my son and I'm not going to change for that. But she doesn't have any clue where she's just sent him into the darkness of the, of the gay lifestyle. And it does get dark, guys. And it gets very scary. And it will take lives. And that's what Satan's out to do. So we don't want the church to condemn them away from God. We don't want the, 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 the world to accept them into their death. We lay the cross in between and we say, come into the church with your issues and don't go to your death. Know the Lord. Get to know grace. Bring your boyfriend if you want to. Yep. <laughs> and bring your, yeah, bring your boyfriend. 
We're girlfriend. So that's cool. really that's really who we are. We all we want to change is your mind about God, and we don't want you to condemn people into away from Christ, and we don't want to you to accept them to their death. Cool. Amen. Well, guys, John and Brandon, thank you so much for being thank on the you. show. Where Thanks. can people get a hold of you or check out your stuff or give me your info, dogs? Okay, so our website is www.freeindeedco, like Central Oregon, .com. Um, there you can find our personal contact information, our uh, we have a Gmail. It's freeindeedco at gmail.com. Um, we also have a podcast that we do, and we're so thankful that we got to be on yours and act really For stoked. Sure. <laughs> Woo! Um, <Yay! laughs> we also have an app. It looks like our logo. And through the mm-hmm. power of radio, mm-hmm. we'll go to our website and see what our logo looks like. Then you can find the app in Google Play. Mm-hmm. And our uh, podcast is on www.freeindeedco.podbean.com. And, uh, and that's where we put all these lessons out, like what not to say, uh, when do you tell them they're wrong, mm-hmm. uh, does God still love you while you're sinning, all of these things that we've, uh, a lot of this that we've touched on is there right now and we're building it. Awesome. So make sure everybody to go to their website, check out their podcast, learn all that you can learn. I'm sure there are just scores of people out there who want to know more about how to approach their gay friends or their gay family members or their gay fellow parishioners at church. Mm -hmm. Um, So there you go. The answers are there. So go check it out. Brandon and John, one more time, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank Thank you you. very much. (laughs) (laughs) Now go change someone's mind about God. there you have it everybody thanks for listening to this episode of canary cry radio make sure to tune in next time but until then think outside the cage